0: Welcome to another edition of Econ After Dusk on Raider Nation WRCU 90.1 FM. This is your host, Zem Rocha, coming to you live from the studio, joined alongside my colleagues Preston Klimley and Zach Moran. How are you guys doing today?
1: Pleasure as always, Zem. I'm looking forward to tonight's episode. Yeah, doing great and excited
0: to talk about one of our more interesting topics. Thanks guys. Uh, Thanks for joining me. And as you know, our discussion today will concern the U.S. healthcare system. And I'm excited to introduce our special guest for the evening. Hamilton College's very own Professor Stephen Wu has a master's and Ph.D. from Princeton University and now lectures in health economics. Hello. Next from Johns Hopkins University, Professor John Nee received a doctorate from Carnegie Mellon University and is an associate professor in the research track. He specializes in empirical and theoretical analysis of healthcare and pharmaceuticals. Hey. Thank you so much for joining us today, guys. So today
2: our topic will concern the healthcare system of the United States, and more specifically we'll outline ways in which the U.S. healthcare system is systematically more expensive than that of other countries. Additionally, we will discuss the healthcare system of the United Kingdom, comparing and contrasting this system of healthcare with that of the U.S. Ultimately, we'll offer suggestions to make the U.S. healthcare system more effective and competitively priced compared to healthcare systems abroad. Preston, what do you see as one of the major problems facing the US healthcare system?
1: Well, I think that there are a lot of issues with the current system of US healthcare, but the one that is arguably the most prevalent in the media and gets the most attention would probably be the fact that it's very highly priced. Uh, To highlight this, I wanna bring in a study that I read conducted by scholars from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation in Seattle, as well as the UCLA David Geffen School of Medicine that measures healthcare spending from 1996 to 2013, and found the following results. According to official US records, total health spending in 2015 reached roughly $3.2 trillion, which constituted 17.8% of the US economy. Additionally, after you adjust for inflation, the annualized growth rate in the US healthcare spending between 1995 and 2015 was 4%, which was greater than the growth of the total U.S. economy, which was only 2.4% during this same period. And lastly, they found that American personal health spending grew by about $930 billion between 1996 and 2013. Uh, To expand on this a little bit, a lot of this increased spending can be said to be the result of technological innovations, which account for roughly 48% of this increase in healthcare spending. But there's also a large portion of the spending that is a result of overutilization, which to a certain degree can be explained by moral hazard, which is essentially the idea that because you're covered and don't need to face the full price of medical services, you're more inclined to use these new and more expensive technologies because you're not paying as much to use them. Uh, Professor Wood, would you like to add anything on this? Um, and I think that's one of those things that it's
3: difficult with the incentives are there where, um, you know, something will be reimbursed, well, then if a physician knows that, and if a patient knows that, then there's going to be an incentive to want to get those, uh, those, those checks, and the, to get those x-rays, or to get those MRIs, uh, and if you were to limit that, people will say that, you know, you're, you're really rationing health care, but I'm somebody who believes that, you know, I mean, as, as, well, as students of economics, we realize that everything is rationed, right, I mean, that we have scarce resources, and so if you are going to spend more in one area, that's going to take away from spending from somewhere else.
0: So Professor Wu, you mentioned that we spend more in some areas rather than others. Can you elaborate on this point? Um, if you think about the fact that some people don't have access to basic care,
3: preventive services, vaccinations, um, you know, well care visits, yearly physicals, and a lot of people would, uh, would believe that, that the U.S. has maybe an over-reliance on specialists and could do more with primary care, and that would, you know, given primary care doctors, the, uh, you know, the training is is shorter. Uh, It's often much more affordable, That there maybe should be more of an emphasis on having primary care doctors uh, handle uh, more care so that it doesn't get referred to specialists where the care is much more expensive. So those are a few reasons um, that I would say that, you know, are, are reasons for driving healthcare costs up.
0: Professor Nhi, nee, do you have anything to add about the problems of the US healthcare system?
3: I mean, first of all, I would like to see more transparency about the uh, pricing in the healthcare service market. Uh, no matter where you go, for example, hospital or regular clinics, it's never clear in terms of the price the transparency. You can get hundreds of type of a hundred different types of price codes. For the same procedure, for the same type of uh, drug, medicine across the different uh, hospitals, uh, providers, uh, uh, clinics. This is a mess, I have to
0: say. So, a lot of debate about potential improvements to the US healthcare system involves moving towards a system similar to the United Kingdom, where the government plays a much bigger role. Under the healthcare system in the UK, the government not only finances care, but also provides it through the National Health Service. The national healthcare system is a social insurance system that operates on the belief that healthcare is a right, not a privilege. It's free at access point, but paid for through ta- taxation. In this system of healthcare, there is perfect price transparency because the government controls prices through direct operation of hospitals and other patient care facilities. Although there are those advantages of the UK's healthcare, I recently read a study by Helen Lawton Smith
2: about the innovation capacity within healthcare systems in the UK and the US. It concluded that the institutions in the U.K. were less effective than those in the U.S. at diffusing new research into new innovations. Additionally, there have been shortages among general practitioners in the U.K., leading to extended wait times of one to three weeks for patients to see their general practitioners. Professor Wu, can you comment on the benefits and shortcomings you see in the National Health Service compared to the U.S.
3: system? So a benefit is that you're going to have everybody who has access some type of health coverage, you know, so uh, health insurance and payment. Um, but one of the disadvantages, and again, this is, you know, this is seen through this shortage, is that because the payments to physicians is gonna be significantly lower than the United States, that's gonna be a little bit of, um, you know, there's gonna be less incentive for, for people to want to go into the medical uh, profession. And because of that, as you as you kind of already outlined, you have these long wait times, these shortages of doctors, and one worry is that if you have lower compensation rates to doctors and profession that's very, very important in terms of you know just uh, you know the overall economy, is that you wouldn't have the highest quality doctors who are wanting to go into the system because these reimbursement rates or these you know, these physician salaries are relatively lower than say like the United States or other or other systems. So that's a, that's, that's a disadvantage that you might worry that quality could suffer um, because you're not getting the best and the brightest who are willing to go into these professions because perhaps for all the training that they have to, to have to receive they're not getting you know high enough compensation rates that make it worth it. So so me it's kind of like it's, it's a little bit of a choice you know do you want lots of people to get very basic coverage but perhaps have some limitations in terms of more specialized care uh, maybe limitations in the sense that you have lo- somewhat longer waiting times maybe not the best choice of physicians right mm-hmm. or do you want a system where you're going to have lots of people who have coverage but a significant number of people who don't have coverage uh, but the ones who have coverage might have access to the best care uh, may, may have good selection of some doctors but then you're going to leave some people out in the cold. Um, so
1: I think those are the trade-offs, you know. Clearly there are advantages to the U.S. system in terms of innovation. However, the innovations that the U.S. are coming up with concerning medical advancements have the potential to lead to the problem of free riding.
3: Yeah, I think that that's another consequence of kind of what, what is going on where you have a system in the United States where lots of spending on sort of more advanced technologies and uh, new medicines... And in other countries, there's less spending on that. And the, so, is there some free riding that goes on? There is, right? Again, prescription drugs is kind of one example of that, where you have much cheaper generics that are offered in India, other foreign countries, um, and the United States is spending a lot of that, you know, on the R research and development.
0: After looking at the pros and cons of each system, it is clear that some changes need to be made to combat the excessive costs of the U.S. healthcare system. Gentlemen. Do you think the U.S. would benefit more from having a large governmental role in healthcare provisions? I would say
3: both uh, private players and the public uh, system. That's the, uh, for example, um, on one hand, yes, uh, we don't want to. from having more government involvement administratively that would also save expenses you know there's a lot of administrative cost to having multiple many different insurers paying for these things you have to all these you know office workers kind of going through waiting through all that paperwork i think the difficulties i don't know if i see that happening partly because of just the us populace and right now i don't know politically
2: it's it's that feasible to get the government super involved Additionally, the largest four health insurers in the U.S. have 76% of the fully funded market nationally, and the largest two insurers have more than 70% of the market in half of the nation's metro areas. If hospitals have no local competition, research has found that prices are 12.5% higher. How do you guys feel about competition as a driving force for change and perhaps lowering prices?
0: Now, before addressing this, you need to establish that there are two forms of competition. One competition will occur along price lines. The other type will be along quality lines. For example, if there are two different hospitals and they're competing for patients, more competition will lead to lower prices if either the patients or the insurers are sensitive to these prices. If patients were incentivized to go to different locations where the prices were lower, then that would actually encourage hospitals to compete along price lines and lower their prices. On the other hand, if patients didn't have a stake in the game, maybe because they have low co-pays, then they wouldn't really care what the prices are. They'd be going to the hospital with better quality forcing hospitals to compete along the lines of, I have better technology, I have this machine. This would actually raise costs because hospitals will compete to have the most advanced care and as a result, the most expensive technologies.
1: Zem, I think that's an interesting point that you brought up and that can also be shown through probably one of the most famous healthcare experiments, that is the RAND experiment, which essentially showed that if people have some type of coinsurance rates or they need to pay just a little amount for services, then they become, to a certain degree, more price-sensitive, which would then force hospitals to compete over these price lines and not quality lines, potentially leading to the fall of prices.
0: Professor Wu, do you have any sort of suggestions of what can be done to lower the cost of the U.S. system? So I think some of the small margins
3: that could bend the cost curve or kind of contain things would be increased efficiencies, uh, more coordinated care. So a lot of times you see this care where it's kind of you know, a little bit disjointed because you have your you have your one physician and then another specialist treating you, and then and then you might have some physical therapists and you have prescriptions. And sometimes there is um, care that is not coordinated the best, and that sometimes can reduce efficiencies. Um, there sometimes can be small things in terms of you know you read about things like preventing infections and preventing you know, the spread of infectious disease by just making sure that we have better hygiene and, and hand washing. Right? So I think there are some uh, efforts that can, that can kind of bend those things in a, in a somewhat small way. Um, I think emphasis on good health behaviors could also be something that would also improve um, you know, outcomes uh, as well as perhaps save costs. Uh, so you know, more, more efforts in terms of wellness programs and on the prevention side. Um, I do think one of the biggest ones that, you know, the biggest ways that we could actually reduce costs, though, are ways that the U.S. public is probably still not ready to go. They're, they're not ready to go to those places, like I said, you know, uh, maybe not covering the most expensive care. So, so those are the things that I think would have the most mileage but yet are probably the hardest to implement. So these other things, like I mentioned, you know, more efficiencies, better coordination, better preventive efforts. Better wellness and help um, promoting good health behaviors; those can do some, but I think those efforts are still modest in comparison with these potentially larger effects that are ones that are just maybe politically more
0: unfeasible. So, unfortunately, that is all the time we have left for today. I want to thank my colleagues Zach and Preston for participating in the discussion, as well as our distinguished guests for your lovely insight. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen, and make sure you tune into next week's episode of Econ After Dusk where we will be interviewing Colgate's very own Professor Ludwinski on recent tax reforms. Should be a real barn burner boys. Thank you all for tuning in.